1: Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how are we doing?
2: Well, Jordan, we're doing okay here in Southern California as I look out and see a nice blue sky. Uh, I know, like, I think, are we like the only city in the world where it's not like minus five degrees right now? I I feel so lucky to be sitting here in February.
1: Yeah, I don't want to rub it in, but I will say that both of the Rams' new coordinators, defensive coordinator Raheem Morris, and special teams coordinator Joe T. Camillus, who we talked to last week, both commented on the weather and the time change. And um, I felt it myself when I moved out here, uh, despite coming from a pretty even climate place. Uh, that it just was—I mean, you just the, the sun's out, you feel good. Not to rub it in or anything. <laughs> Hopefully, well, everybody's safe and not driving places and everybody's staying um, staying safe out there and staying warm. I know there's some, like some scary pow- power outages and stuff around, um, yeah. in Texas. So fingers crossed that everyone's doing okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it feels like we, it's been, it feels like it's been a long time since we did a podcast, Jordan. I, I mean, two, two weeks, but, uh, we, we have some, some news, like you said, since, since the last time we, we talked to the good people, you were, you were finally able to talk to the The two Rams coordinators, obviously uh, Raheem Morris, in as the new defensive coordinator, Joe DiCamillis as the new special teams coordinator, along with the other special teams coordinator who's still on staff in some form. Um, So Jordan, I I know we're going to want to dig into this. People I know are wondering uh, about the timeline probably for the other assistant coaches. Um, Are you expecting that to happen fairly soon? I I think it's right around this time usually, maybe even a little bit before now. So I mean, what, what, what are we expecting here?
1: Yeah. So I think you factor in that they lost a few days up to a week because first of all, they were still playing into the postseason, And then second of all, they uh, executed the massive blockbuster trade that we talked about. That feels like years ago, but it was actually only two weeks ago. So um, a little, they, they were a little bit behind. It was important that Sean McVay sealed Raheem Morris in place before sort of operating the rest of this, this off season. And then obviously people took vacations and whatnot. You know, I what I'm hearing is that there's just a couple of contracts left to be signed and and terms to be completely agreed upon. But um, in principle, they have honed in on their assistants who will be filling in this staff. So I think we'll probably see something a little bit more formal and official later this week. And I would also say that we'll probably see some internal promotions as well. Obviously, there were a few positions on on the offensive side and the defensive side that needed to be filled, whether it was you know the the staff getting raided by other teams or promotion opportunities elsewhere. Um, but I do think we'll see at least one or two internal promotions. I hope that it's more than just in title, particularly as we look on the defensive side, because there's some really, really talented coaches on that side. So um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And, and I think that so far that's my sense. Um, and I know we want to kind of get into – losses and replacements and and all of that. But my sense is that there are at least going to be a couple of promotions over on that defensive side.
2: Yeah, that was always. I remember when we when we got the sheet or whatever it was, and you kind of had to look. and I I remember having to compare side by side last year and going, okay, this I think it was like Zach Robinson, uh, who used to be a quarterbacks coach, and then he moved to receivers, and so, you know Shane Waldron's titles a little bit different. So there's all these little kind of interesting internal uh, things that go along. But yeah, Jordan, I, I I expect as you do that maybe you see a couple you know outright promotions with within the the staff, and certainly would be. Uh, well-deserved. But uh, yeah, I think they kind of tend to like to announce these as a as a group. That's probably why you're not seeing them come out piecemeal. Um, they just kind of like to put it all out at once. So um, the surprising thing is probably that none of them have leaked. I, I guess you, maybe you see those sometimes, uh, but uh, Rams have been keeping that pretty tight. But Jordan, I, I think we probably want to dig into Raheem Morris first, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's that's going to be the big one here. Uh, Brandon Staley, of course, uh, off to the chargers to, to be their head coach. And, uh, there's obviously been some, some other losses to the staff. So you, you, got a chance to, to talk to Raheem, uh, via zoom. Um, what, what were your, what were your takeaways? And, and I think probably what Rams fans are going to want to mo- know the most here is how much, if at all, is this defense going to change?
1: Well, I think it'll look different in, in some ways. They're going to have to avoid regression, and it wouldn't matter who's coming in at head coach. It wouldn't matter if Brandon Staley was going to keep the defensive coordinator job um, for a second year. Right. The regression is is pretty much imminent in a league that tries to pull you back into parity, and that's the way that the NFL is designed. They would lose personnel. Um, you know, they're, they're – sort of crawling toward free agency here as is the rest of the league because everyone's trying to figure out how to get on the cap. So, you know, there's going to be bits and pieces and and different things that that look different. But where I'm really interested in watching his process, in Raheem Morris's process, is how do you blend certain ideologies and how do you blend certain philosophical items of these schemes? Because they don't want to move totally away from what, what we call Staley's sort of evolved Vic Fangio system. And what we mean by that is like Staley worked his way up into in from the Vic Fangio system, utilizing um, a really progressive scheme, but also blending items that he himself coached at John Carroll, particularly implementing um, different facets of, of secondary rotation, how they played the corners, particularly Jalen Ramsey, and blending those things with that defensive front the um light box shells, the too high stuff, like things that are intended to sort of give up the bits and pieces plays in order to prevent the the back breaking and game breaking explosives, um, not a ton of blitzing, um, really, really aggressive in the pass rush, really, really heavy rotation in the secondary, extra safeties, less value on linebackers, things, things like that that we know now to be true. Um, of what this evolved system sort of looks like. Well, Raheem Morris came up through the Monte Kiffin, Tony Dungy, Tampa 2, right? And so he is very much of that tree, but has coached every position in football on both sides of the ball and has not only had coaching experience, but tons of DC experience. Um, and and so to me, what's going to be really interesting is how he blends those two things together. And obviously, you know, I I asked him directly about like what what will be the uh, physical and the philosophical characteristics of blending that Staley Fangio system, um, and then which we need to come up with a better word for that, I think, right, right, Rich, but (laughs) something easier to roll off the tongue. And the
2: Stangio system, the the
1: Stangio, yeah, the Stangio system, and and then blending it with this sort of these Tampa two influences that it's not, you know, he also has been able to work such versatility. He's coached every front, that type of stuff in his system. So that's what I'm, I'm really, really interested in, in learning about now, you know, obviously there'll be. If like how I put it is like, if you had a sheet sheet of paper in front of you and it was like released from Rams public relations and, it showed their depth chart you would see a 3 4 written out on the sheet of paper but like right. we cannot confine ourselves to a depth chart my friends we need to <laughs> we need to be bigger than the depth chart we we have to think outside of that we have to dream a little bigger to quote inception like we <laughs> we need to you know, understand that these guys are going to be multiple. They're going to be in four-man fronts, three-man fronts. They're going to probably be in their sub-packages a majority of the time because percentages show us that that is the way the league is trending to combat pass-heavy attacks. So you can't really say base, but yes, they're not going to change like outside linebacker. They're still going to be looking for that sort of stylistic outside linebacker instead of a you know, um, hand in the dirt defensive end, they are still going to be rotating Aaron Donald wherever is most advantageous. Um, but philosophically is where I'm really interested in, learning about how specifically you're going to blend and what tweaks those are you know you're going to implement and what language you're going to teach and and to me that's the really fascinating part of this and the part i get really excited about as a big fan of defensive football um because i think that's a i think that's a fact those are two fascinating systems to blend together and i'm right. i'm personally like just praying that we can actually see it in the spring we can actually yeah. be present at camp and workouts because I cannot wait to get out there and actually just see conceptually what's going on. Because I remember, Rich, we were talking last summer, my first couple days at training camp, and I was texting you, Rich, and I was like, "Uh, I have never seen a defense like this in person, and I think it's going to be badass. (laughs) I can't explain what I'm seeing quite yet, because I I haven't seen it all together, but the way that they're doing X, Y, and Z, and the way that they're rotating, and the way that they're using these sort of light box shells, and like these things that are so different than what you normally see. Um, and then obviously we saw where it led them. And then, so that's why I just really want to get out there. Cause I think Raheem Morris is going to be a fantastic coach, um, a fantastic defensive coordinator for this group. And, and I just really, I I'm like, antsy, I really want to just see. I want to see everything. I want to know everything already.
2: Yeah, and I think it makes sense. You know, I, I, there's some questions about, about the hire and who would you go after and things like that. But I, I think it makes sense. Raheem Morris is, is such a veteran NFL coach. He's been in the league for 20 years now. And he, he's not going to be defined by one thing. He's he's certainly smart enough. He's been around enough. He's worked with enough coaches uh, to do exactly what you said, he's going to have to do, which is to do a little bit of a blend. Um, he's, he's not going to be running the exact same thing that he ran in Atlanta, or the exact same thing that he ran in Tampa. Uh, there, there will be changes because, as you noted in your in one of your stories recently, and it's a very important point that people should remember. You don't want to change too much here. You don't want you don't want to give these guys a third defense in in three years. It just becomes a, a little bit much. Maybe there's some guy, Aaron Donald, no problem. He can he could do he could right. do five defenses in three years. It really wouldn't matter. But as for some of these guys, you know, especially the, maybe in the secondary, things like that, you don't want to disrupt them too much. And you certainly don't want to disrupt them when they've been the number one defense in the NFL. So, you know, it, maybe in a way I feel a little bit bad for Raheem Morris because he, he comes in kind of with this, this expectation of, Hey, you know, you, you've got this amazing defense, you know, now don't screw it up. Um, so it's, it's a little bit different kind of expectations, but, but he's a, he's a veteran guy. And he certainly will be able to, to look at what he has in terms of this talent. And it probably will change between now and, and the start of whenever, maybe it's sometime during OTAs or certainly before the start of training camp. It's not going to be the exact same personnel that the, that Brandon Staley had last year. So maybe based on that, he doesn't run exactly the same type of things that, that Brandon Staley did. But I, I think it's a good hire because it's it's obviously somebody who has the trust of Sean McVay and, and maybe you could speak to that a, a little bit too, Jordan, and, and maybe just the importance of of that also, that that relationship uh being strong. But again, he's somebody who's who's been around the league for twenty years. He's he's certainly capable of adjusting and adapting and and using this personnel to, to the best that he can in twenty twenty one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like I do think that we'll see certain things get tweaked, like um, like you said, some some things they're just not going to be able to counter. Again, like you're going to have a natural pull toward regression. That's kind of what we talked about with Aaron Schatz um, at the beginning of the season, the plexiglass principle, where things sort of bend back and then bend forward a little bit because this league tries to pull everybody into eight and eight, essentially tries to pull into right. that parity. So um, I think that they're hoping that the combination of Raheem's veteran experience and know-how, his teachability, um, his coach, you know, his ability as a coach and as a teacher um, are – are. I think they're sort of hoping to have that prevent any type of natural regression you would see when you have a number one defense um, in, in a certain year and then ultimately lose some of your personnel or other teams gain other personnel or what have you. So I think that's really interesting. And I also would be surprised – if they scheme certain certain aspects of of what they do in in similar ways, because um, you know we've seen them have issues, like for example, when teams stretch them horizontally, like San right. Francisco, um, really. Really operated well when stretching them um, horizontally instead of vertically because it demanded more of the linebackers running sideline to sideline and the safety coming down for help and then you have to tackle wrap on first contact and they just couldn't they just couldn't do it so those types of things I think are are little tweaks that you can see. That would prevent such regression and would certainly improve certain facets of their game, particularly in their division play. So I think that's going to be something that's that's impacted and and something that Raheem Morris is going to um, definitely turn his attention to. But other things that I think are really interesting about this hire and Rich, you, you mentioned it earlier, were the previous relationship built already with Sean McVay. Um, Sean McVay is like going to want to win a Super Bowl, <laughs> like. Right, a more obvious statement could not exist, right? But <laughs> but he wants to do it without wasting any time because they've gone in, all in on Matt Stafford. Excuse me, Matthew. I hear he hates being called Matt. So. Oh, <laughs> don't want to get off on
2: the wrong foot here.
1: I know, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, Matthew Stafford. Yes. So they so going all in on Matthew Stafford, and you know they're going to have to navigate the cap in this way, uh, investing in probably one to two more premium free agents and trying to utilize some of their younger stars and their younger, their younger core players, having core contracts like Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, this sort of window that you're seeing that aligns with Matthew Stafford. You're not going to want to waste any time bringing along a younger or less experienced guy as your coach. And also you want that um, unspoken bond and that unspoken compliment, um, to be, to exist the second that person steps into your facility. Right. Because you, you, if you're Sean, you feel like, all right, I've gone all, all in and now I'm on the line because I'm the only, you know, I'm putting it all in on, on me and, and pushing for this trade. And now it's, it's up to me and my coaching at this point, because I've made it clear that I think that our, our missing piece was at quarterback. So, now I've got to coach my ass off, right? And so you you need to have, if you're in that position, you need to have somebody you trust implicitly, somebody who you um, have a long, long history with. I mean, these guys did their sort of football growing up together. They experienced their football formative years on the same staff in uh, Washington and in Tampa. And this is really, really important that he brought in somebody who – um, is is his guy and somebody who he can delegate to because he has that head coaching experience. If Sean wants to really dive heavier into the offense um, and really kind of get back to this system that people can't defend well, um, and you need somebody on the other side to delegate, and he gave Brandon Staley a ton of autonomy on that side, but he also was learning Brandon Staley's defense because right. let's let's remember, Rich, that defense. Beat him, beat Sean McVay. Yes. So Sean McVay, by the nature of his personality, is spending time learning this defense, as well as doing all of the you know offensive and CEO esque delegation that a head coach has to do. Um, and it's almost like maybe he couldn't help it. Maybe he couldn't help but just need to to learn it and want to learn it because he felt it would make them better long term. So it all kind of all of this is such a an interesting. Um, to borrow, I guess, a word from McVeigh, such an interesting ecosystem because now you're starting to see roles subtly shift and change. And I think along with Raheem Morris, you'll start to see that on down the line as well with with some of the assistance that they have in and, and help install the types of things that they want to do.
2: Yeah. And hopefully, I mean, it's it's crazy to think like Brandon Staley did this all online last year, basically. I Isn't that it's crazy?
1: It's so crazy.
2: I will never get over that, uh, how... I mean, to, to not have a, a players on the field until, what was it? It was, it was late July, wasn't it? By the time they, they got into training camp there. Um, I, th- I think people, that I don't, I don't know whether that'll ever get the credit that it, that it deserves uh, to, to not have them on the field at all during, during those April and May and even into June when you have those mini camps. So uh, I'm sure it, it looks like, you know, knock on wood, <laughs> It, it looks like the NFL teams will have the ability to do that this year. I don't know if it'll look exactly the same as it normally does, but uh, I, I do think they'll get on the field and get in the facility and that sort of thing. So that certainly will help uh, Raheem Morris. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 big. And like you said, Jordan, I think we're we're seeing you know Sean McVay. He's he's going to dig back into that offense, and he's going to be putting a lot of time into trying to figure out what went wrong there. I'm sure he's going to spend a lot of time building his relationship with. Matthew Stafford, Matthew. and yes, and <laughs> and you know, trying trying to rework some of that offense around him. So so to have Raheem there as as somebody he trusts, uh, it's it's probably not the, the situations are very very dissimilar. But but I remember when when Sean got hired and and he hired Wade Phillips, and it it kind of felt like. It kind of felt similar in in the sense that Wade was a former head coach. He didn't need any kind of oversight. He knew what he was doing. He was not a first timer. He was he wasn't even a, an eighth timer at that point. So uh, you, you didn't have to worry about his installation and things like that. And I, I, it feels like there's a similar thing going on here that uh, Reem knows what he's doing. He's he's done this countless times before in, in off season. OTA is that sort of thing. So he'll do he'll do what he does. I'm sure Sean will be keeping a close eye on it as the head coach, but it it really frees him up to do uh some of the stuff that that he needs to do. So uh, I I'm fascinated to see kind of what those those little changes are that that Raheem will bring and uh see how the personnel changes. So anything else that jumped out yet at you from uh, from just what he said during that that presser the other day?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just really enjoyed listening to him and, and sort of his philosophical background, like he, he's of course not going to get specific about scheme and it's, you know, of course they'd like to, every other team that the Rams have are going to have on their schedule are scrambling to try to figure out like how to counter this defense that what ranked number one in the league in many categories and, um, is sort of the direction I think it, as the league progresses toward heavier passing. Sort of that is the direction that I think you'll start to see defenses, more defenses go toward. And again, you can blame a Sean McVay football team for that. Um, for for the second time in this decade, you can blame right. Sean McVay ultimately for some sort of shift in uh, the universe of football. Um, <sighs> no pun intended. We know he he likes his motions and shifts, um, yes. but. Yes. You know, it's going to be what I really liked about Raheem is how so player focused and player like the players are going to have so much empowerment in this system. And that's part of what they really loved about Brandon Staley's defense. Yes, it was new. Yes, it was really tough to learn in such a tight frame. And by the way, those assistant coaches, I mean, it's hard on the one hand to balance the idea that um, a couple of assistants did not get sort of the thorough internal interview process that maybe they deserved because right. they really were so key in installing this system and getting this defense to where it was. Um, the impact of which, again, I think we'll start to see a ripple effect and a trickle effect through the league over the next couple of years. And those guys are all crucial in that, right? Um, but, but it's so you sort of balance that and thinking, yeah, you're going to lose your assistance if you aren't promoting internally however you right. also knew that raheem is the right guy to bring in raheem morris is the guy for this job in this space and in this time right so you you sort of balance those things um but what i really liked about raheem when he was speaking with media is he was so um he's so invested in every player and in that player's empowerment within the system and it's not a yeah, we're running this package in this system and we're going to try to sort of peg you into it. It's more so how can we best maximize your abilities and create something around you, not the other way around. And to mm-hmm. me that's a that's what successful coaches do. That's what great coaches do. That's what people who should be head coaches do. And and that's something that the players really took to last year and helped um sort of install this to to the caliber that it was. And so now as you're implementing some of these language changes and some of these tweaks and and all of that, you're you're also giving the players the empowerment within that system and you are are really entrusting them. And that was what Raheem's message was and I thought that's a guy who's going to have a buy-in like right away because right. Because he believes in his players, even if he doesn't know them all well and you can't meet people in person right now. So even if you're speaking to them virtually and whatnot, um, just sort of that the saying that he said where he's like, I want to be a part of winning a championship. I don't need to be the face of it, which him was him speaking about how he wants his defensive players to all feel like they equally contribute into this and into creating a successful system. Um, I think that that's going to go a long way with players. And I think also the fact that he's basically like, I'm going to just scheme up Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and then get out of their way. Like also (laughs) will go a long way with players. Um, but I, I just think that that part was really impressive and interesting to me, not so much as, as maybe a coach, but as a teacher, I think that those qualities, you see it over and over again those are the qualities that Sean McFay likes to bring in, um, and, and does bring in. And, and I think Raheem Morris just has, I mean, he, I mean, he should be a head coach, honestly, he already was, and he should have been a head coach again. And, and so I think that, um, it's going to be really, really interesting and, and, and fun to watch and to write about, to see how players, um, you know, sort of buy into, to this system and and how sort of things change, but also stay the same.
0: Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
2: And and not I I almost hate to say this Rams fans I'm sorry but it it's a, it almost feels like Raheem is now positioning himself again if you right? <laughs> you know not I don't want to say it's going to be a fourth defensive coordinator in four years but he's certainly in in that stage of his career and age and everything else I mean it, it look if he comes into this Rams offense and. And enjoys uh, success. He could and absolutely should get get another look at an NFL head coaching job. I mean, he's still very young, and, and he's had amazing success in this league. He should not be defined by by one stint as an NFL head coach. So uh, I know he will be motivated. He's certainly I, I understand and believe that that he's uh, you know down with the, just contributing to this Rams team. But uh, I'm sure he's he's a he's a prideful man. He he you know wants to to do things in his career too. So I, those go hand in Hand. If you have the team help the team have success, then uh, it'll only reflect uh, well on him, as, as absolutely it should. So I think it was a very interesting hire. Uh, I think it was a smart hire, and we'll see where it goes. It sets up very well, but. You know things things don't always go the way that uh, that we think they will on paper, but I I think it's really interesting. But Jordan, before we kind of pivot, I, I we want to talk a lot about um, salary cap things too, because we're mm-hmm. we're starting to enter the season, so to speak, where you start to see maybe those uh, cap casualties. Usually, when we're, we're here in the last couple of weeks of February, maybe that's when you start to see some of those veterans. You go, oh wow, he's not on the team anymore, huh? But before we do that, let, let's let's touch on special teams a little bit because I, I look Rams fans saw this year it's it is important and maybe they got lulled a little bit into those years with uh, with John Fossil where you know the Rams every year had the best kicker the best punter, the best coverage units and then you started to see it wobble over over the last couple of years so so in comes Joe DiCamillis another veteran NFL coach he's been around the league for a, a number of years so uh, you know somebody you know what you're going to get here but Jordan, where, where's the emphasis going to be? Do you think? I know he, he he got asked about a lot of things. He got asked about Johnny Hecker. He got asked about uh, the return specialist and and what they want to do there. Uh, is he just going to kind of take a, a top down approach and and evaluate everything, or do you get a sense that there's one area maybe that that he's really going to focus on here?
1: Well, the one thing that was interesting about this hire was how much the return game was sort of emphasized in the press release Mm. um, emphasized in Sean McVeigh's quote that he sort of gave to the, you know, the person who wrote the press release and, um, and also emphasized in the sort of biographical outline within that press release. And to me that sort of leaned toward what everybody knows bears more consistency and needs more consistency in uh, 2021. I almost forgot what year it was. Um, <laughs> what year is it? But um, I think uh, it doesn't matter. I, I think that it's, it's really that part of it's going to be really interesting. I don't think that they are willing or ready to give up on Simba Webster. For example, I think that there's, there's a space in which Joji Camillus really gets a lot of praise and that is in developing young special teamers, developing a great kick returner, great punt returner. And I think that they've got Simba Webster and they've got Raymond Clay who they, they thought were both, you know, merit had potential, but the inconsistency and then Raymond Clay didn't really even get a shot finish the year, the season on IR, um, right. and at, at kick return. And that was sort of like, okay, you can see the flashes, but then there were fumbles or breakdowns in blocking or, um, just odd decision-making on some punts. And sometimes, you know, John Bonamega would throw Cooper cup out there for whatever reason. And, and it just was, it just was wildly inconsistent all around. And so I think that's one thing that they're looking for is, is that consistency. And I know that everybody, I think everybody wants like the trick plays to come back and the the fake punts and, and all of that. But like, where I think they're baseline is and their number one goal in 2021 is just to get back to normal, like just to get back to consistent and maybe break off a great return or two every, you know, every game or every other game. And, and I think that's where they, they certainly were not at. And there was a lot of change and a lot of roster churn that affects how your special teams operates. There was a lot of sort of questions about obviously about Kicker, which, you know, I love to talk about. Um, and those questions finally seem to have been settled with, with Matt Gay. There were questions about Johnny Hecker and sort of some of the numbers that he had, um, in a, in the, during the season for his punts. And there were questions about sort of consistency there, which was really rare because he's always so reliable and there were, you know, there's questions now about Jake McQuaid. They brought in two long snappers on futures deals and they're they're sort of picking and tweaking um, various aspects of the salary cap so he could become a cap casualty. So there's lots and lots of questions. And I think when you have this many in one phase that could be so important, that was such a thorn in their side last year in, in terms of, Inconsistency, and then devoting extra energy toward thinking about things that you don't want to have to think about as a head coach or a GM, um, like kickers. <laughs> um, right. I, I think that all they all they're really hoping for is establishing consistency, and then we can talk about fake punts, right? The trickoration and right. those types of things. But but first and foremost, have to establish that consistency, and I think that's something that Joe D. has been lauded for because. His special teams units, when they are consistent, so many others are not that it automatically elevates them in the rankings, right? Automatically, if you have an explosive returner and consistency everywhere else, you automatically are are higher in DVOA because it's so tough to do that week over week on special teams with the amount of turnover on the bottom of the roster, with kickers regressing to the mean, with, you know, anything that could happen, right? So it's just really... Um, that's going to be the main focus. And I think that's a big reason why they brought him in. They also, you know, Sean McVay knew Joe DiCamillis from way back as well. Um, Joe Millis knew Les Snead from way back as well. And, and part of that is the Les Snead admitting like, hey, Sean and I did not completely know the language of this, of special teams. And it's like a different language. And we're still, at, you're always trying to learn and, and you're, you, you know, maybe you, maybe you didn't know it as well as you thought you did. So you bring in somebody right. who can not only um, develop younger talent, but also maybe communicate that um, in in that phase maybe a little bit better. And, um, you know, John Monomago will still continue to consult on staff as a as sort of a senior advisory role. Um, you know, I want to make it clear. I saw someone on Twitter said it was an associate head coaching role. That's not that's not true. Um, it's, it's just a senior advisory role. And my, my understanding is that they moved him into that role because, um, two-year contracts are really tough to buy out or, or, uh, or convert unless there's, unless that person's getting hired elsewhere. Um, so, you know, maybe that was an easier decision for them and, and hopefully he can continue to contribute for the positive.
2: Are are you saying Jordan, that maybe the Rams didn't want to go to Stan Kroenke at this point and say, (laughs) Hey, um yeah, we, million we, we, yeah, uh, <laughs> sorry about that whole golf thing, but we we really want to change our special teams coach. Would you be all right with that too? Yeah, I, I think I'd do the same thing if I were them. I think I'd just yeah. be like, yeah, so you know what?
1: move him to the side. Yeah,
2: l- yeah, let's just not have this phone call if we yeah. don't have to. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, uh, I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, actually, so yeah and and you know all, all joking aside i mean i I'm sure there's you know some some insight that can be added there it's it's another it's another brain in the room, and then that doesn't hurt but jordan, the, the thing that kind of struck me while you were explaining all that is is how dramatically we've kind of shifted on special teams, right? I mean, a year ago, if you would have said, like, w- what are the certainties and what are the areas of concern? You would have said the certainties are Johnny Hecker and Jake McQuaid and, you know, a, a pretty strong return unit and the question mark is the kicker. And now it's completely flipped. Now, the basically, the only thing that's, that you feel really, really confident about is the kicker. Because Matt Gay was so good, <laughs> and now it seems like everything else is a question mark. So I, I actually could not agree with you more in terms of, uh, you have to get the fundamentals fixed. I mean, I I know people get you know the the fake punts and all that. Like I I get it. And there's you know there there look there were several times last year where I thought like ah oh, that might be a good spot for a fake punt or you know something like that. But that's not over the course of 16 games. That's not what makes a good special teams unit. It's it's all of those things that you. Uh, mentioned Jordan and and I think they need to be whatever it is they whether they just need to be tighter in some of those areas or maybe it is time for a, a personnel change in in certain areas but i uh, I think it does need a it needs a little bit of a refresh all, all around because uh it just it didn't look right last year so and and part of that is personnel too and and that'll change and um, you know maybe allows us to segue Jordan into um, some of these issues that that are going to be coming up now, like we said, you you just mentioned Jake McQuaid. Uh you know, not a guy who's going to make a ton of money, but uh you start looking at the at the salary cap math and you start going, well, you know, where where can you save a little bit or or maybe even maybe even upgrade if you if you think you can bring in a younger player uh whose salary is going to be, I don't know, maybe two thirds less than, mm-hmm. than the person who's who's already in place. So I'd imagine Jordan that that as these new coaches come in, that's that's we're probably right in the middle of that right now, right? Because that's you usually see if my memory serves correctly, uh, the, the last near the end of February, maybe even the start of March, is is when you start to see some of those guys get cut who who are already under under contract, and, and you can see teams start to plan for that for that March seventeenth uh, free agency. So is that uh, you think that's something the Rams are looking at here?
1: Yeah, and and you also have to do this without um, showing your hand of what you're going to do in the draft. So, like, you could have a right. guy who's maybe a cap casualty. Like, I think we could. We'll probably get into the the discussion that, and we made this discussion also in our in our piece. uh now I think it was a little less than two weeks ago. Although time has no meaning, so I might be right. wrong on that. But we broke down the cap and all of that.
2: February third. You're
1: February third. Right. What month is it? Yes, February 3rd. (laughs) Um, So um, we talked about how like maybe Rob Havenstein could be a cap casualty potentially, but then you can't show your hand because you almost certainly need to draft either a right tackle or a swing tackle who could eventually, who could play there in the, in the short term and then eventually take over for maybe Andrew Whitworth after this year or something, you know, you like, you don't want to show your hand like that. Right um, so far away from the draft. So some of these guys, you know, you could still see them through the spring and then maybe, you know, when it comes time to sign the draft picks, that's when you make the release. The right thing to do obviously is to release a guy early so he can go find a team. Right. Um, but we'll, you also are, have never before been dealing with a cap that has had to face this sort of a deficit. And then the right. Rams obviously are carrying like million in dead cap in 2021. So they're going to have to just do what they have to do at this point. Right. So the way that I kind of explain some of this is, is um, you look at a guy like Jake McQuaid, who has been so valuable and so great for the Rams for so many years. And you look at his salary, he would probably have around like a $3 million salary um, in, in uh, 2021, and onward, depending on, you know, if you extend them multiple years or whatnot. So you look at that and then you look at their, th- when you talk about that as like a cap casualty, people, the most popular thing that people come back with is like, well, that's not, that's not even, that's barely anything. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're at a deficit. They're like 26 million in the whole, um, you know, th- that's, that's not going to do anything to chip away. Well. That money, it's not, that's not the algebra equation that you need to be looking at. The algebra equation that you're looking at is where does that money then go, right? Right. When they parted ways with Greg Zerline in free agency, for example, they knew that the number that he would be meriting as a, as a, really established, well-established kicker in the league would be between three and four million per year. Graham Gino had signed a contract the year prior and sort of set the market at that point. And he's, he was at four and a half per year. So they knew Greg Zerline would probably be three to four and a half in terms of what they would be paying him every year. Well, by opting out of re-signing him or extending him in, in free agency, they, it's not like they were saving that money against the cap because they needed cap space Instead, they planned for that money to go toward a first or second round tender for cornerback Darius Williams. So that was a guy that they were already planning on tendering as far back as last year and and reallocating that money into a space that they uh, at a position where they more so need it, would need it in the future. And then at that point. You know, you would probably hope to have a little bit more luck on your draft pick at Kicker at that point. <laughs> but but the plan, the plan was to have found – you know, the plan was – you know, it didn't obviously factor in a global pandemic and no training camp and all of that, right? So the plan, which I wrote about uh, extensively, was like you bring in the best – guys from various kicking competitions and then you have your own kicking competition and you see who wins. And if you have to cut the draft pick, you cut the draft pick. Right. So, but, but basically the point is the money is not necessarily like, oh, you know, you're, you're cutting Jake McQuaid. So you were 26 over and now you're only 23 over. No, it's more like that 3 million goes to supplement either, you know, the rest of that tender or, um, a signing, you know, some of the some of the draft picks that you need to sign or that money then goes elsewhere. And so you have to sort of navigate that algebraic equation instead of just subtracting purely from that cap number itself. Um, so that's kind of how we go through what cap casualties would look like and why they might make certain decisions. And, and at that point, even the little bits and pieces, which would be a Jake McQuaid status contract, um, uh you know and not re-signing a josh reynolds not re-signing a gerald everett um those types of things that aren't like market breaking deals but are instead middle to lower that reallocates elsewhere and so that's kind of the way that you have to look at is like every little piece of it will will matter
0: with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice
2: you know, need to remember is it's it, like you said, Jordan, it's it's not a one year thing. I mean, when, when the Rams look at their cap situation or their roster or their contracts or whatever, they are looking three or four years out all, all at once. Um, it's, it's not just, oh, Shoot, the salary cap's lower this year, so how do we get under it this year? And then, and then we'll worry about twenty twenty two next year. No, that that's not how it works. They they are constantly kind of looking ahead. You know, like you said, if it if we make one move now, what's what's the domino effect? What's that going to mean for twenty two or twenty three or even twenty four? Uh, that that sort of thing. So these, these all go hand in hand, as much as it might look like at times that the teams are just kind of you know helter skelter trying to figure everything out for for just to get through one year. Uh, they really aren't, and and there's there's a lot of kind of deeper you know looks that have to take place into this stuff. But but just just to set the table, and I, I don't want to go through too much of this because talking numbers on a podcast, I don't know whether there's anything more boring than that. But, yeah. but just stay you awake know,
1: with us, everybody. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll
2: try to give the, the the thirty second version here. But the the weird thing is, and and I really do mean weird. Like I don't I don't understand the The league has not even told the teams what the salary cap is going to be. and i I'm sure there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for that, and I know that it's a strange year because of revenues and everything going down and but it, it, it's just so odd to me that that they probably are going to go into March here, maybe even and not know what the number is. They know what the floor is, and, and Jordan, you've reported this before, that it's not going to go below $175 million. Uh, But the latest we saw, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Jordan, but I, uh, the latest that we saw was that it could be about $181 million, Um which is a big difference when you talk about a lot of these teams who have to get down to those numbers because a lot of those teams – some of the teams are well over 181 million even. So when you're talking about having to get to 181 versus 175, that makes a big difference. And, and some of these teams aren't going to know for a little while still uh, what they need to do. Now, just real quick. Uh the Rams, you're, you see the numbers, if, if you follow this, you know, casually or you read different stories and you see the Rams are $30 million over the salary cap. And I <laughs> I know, you know, a lot of people look at that and go, oh my goodness, they've just, how could they possibly mismanage this so badly? <laughs> and, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to have to cut all these players. No, they they really aren't. Um, and and the piece that Jordan referenced that that can be found uh, on the athletic, the app, and the website. You have to go back a little bit at this point, but it, but it ran on on February third. We we tried to explain it a little bit uh, how it's it's really not going to be that hard. And and Jordan, one of the things that you just said, I think, plays into that is uh, Aaron Donald's contract, for instance, that that he signed uh, a couple years ago now. The Rams did not restructure that one last year when they could have, uh, and they could have freed up some money, but they didn't do that because they kind of had their eye on this year, right? And, And that allows them so much more flexibility to do what they need to do. So you look at restructuring Aaron Donald, you look at potentially restructuring Robert Woods maybe even a Jalen Ramsey. Jordan, I know, and hopefully you can explain this to the, to the good people, what they can do with Matthew Stafford who comes in at, at a certain number, but it might not necessarily uh, end up being the contract that he plays under for the Rams. So it's a lot of, whew, I mean, the, the numbers get get really dizzying at times. And like I said, it's, it's not real fun to talk about, but, but the Rams <laughs> are, are not real far away here, right? I mean, with maybe three or four moves that are, that are fairly reasonable, uh, they, they can get themselves where they need to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's not impossible to do. Like, they're, they're going to be under – there might be, like, one cut that's not fun or there could be two. Right. Um, but the thing is, is, like, they're not – they're still going to – some of these cuts, like, if you look at a Rob Havenstein or a Michael Brockers who, underneath their core contracts, are sort of the biggest uh, cap, you know, cap hits or cap savings post-cut right. – um they would also incur enough dead money to make it sort of a net neutral so and not totally a net neutral but like they they would incur still enough dead right. money from some of those decisions that it would almost be like well do you i mean would you really want to do that anyway so right. really what i think we're looking for here is um is is restructures and and maybe even like extensions in some cases you, right. you'll recall they they did not extend Woods and Cup like your typical four year that you would see from a you know in cup from a second contract part of that is his age um part of that is you can add another year and restructure his initial hit which is something like 17 million that's his right. initial cap number and and it's immovable unless you restructure some of it into a bonus and then pay some of it on the back end right. so you can do that with with Cooper Cup for example you can um restructure Aaron Donald which was kind of like their panic switch card like yeah. it's it's like if if this this is what they had always sort of kept in their back pocket in case of a right. sort of fiasco that was connected right. to the Jared Goff contract right so if you like if there was something that happened let's say Jared was still on the roster and there was something that happened and you needed to bring someone else in um but you weren't but you weren't in this case moving on from that money and you still had that locked in as part of your core salary base. You could then turn to your like your panic switch card and restructure Donald, bring in you know whoever now it's going to be important because the cap shrunk. So, right. you know, it's, it's not necessarily golf related, although the Stafford trade obviously factors in here, but because the cap shrunk, that becomes your sort of emergency situation that I don't think anybody could have predicted two years ago, this pandemic or anything. Well, right. some people probably did very smart scientists and and whatnot, but football people were not predicting this. <laughs> so, yes. um, so it, it's really, um, it's really, I think, that's going to be the main one. And then I think you can do some things with the receivers in that regard. You can, um, you could do some things with bonuses and backload some things. Now with Matthew Stafford, that's also going to be crucial. Like they really have to try to get something done with him. And, and that in my understanding would be one of their best options in order to give themselves more flexibility roster wide. And that would be, you could put an extra year or two years onto the deal via an extension. And I know when people um, hear extension for a quarterback, they panic because, and it's understandable because of what happened with Jared Goff getting his extension a year, two years too early. Um, And so I get it, but this would be a cap relief situation. This wouldn't necessarily be like, Hey man, you're married to us no matter what. Right. This would be like, this would be strictly for cap relief and then to align him into Aaron Donald's window into Ramsey's window into Robert Woods, Cooper cups window for how their contracts are also aligned. Right. So you can put on an extra year or two and you can backload some of the money you owe him to reduce the 21, 2021 cap figure, understanding that TV deals are about to happen. um, You know, that revenue is going to be quite a boost. Then you're going to get a bounce back from the cap. um, hopefully. Fingers crossed when people are vaccinated, and um, you can have fans start attending games again, and maybe you make back that revenue. So all of that is is sort of what they are are going to have to hope for. Um, undoubtedly, Aaron Donald would be open to this type of thing. I mean, the dude is just a teammate. Like undoubtedly, he he and his representatives would be fine as long as he's getting you know what he's owed. Um, right. on the back end and has guarantees and things like that. So, so you have to negotiate a couple of those things, but, um, you know, the, the Stafford one, that's the one that they're going to be working on probably through the year, um, through the, through, through the spring trying to make happen. And I think that's one of their better options in, in this regard.
2: Yeah, I I do too, and and again that's that you you set these things up that way, you know, and I know you've written about it before, Jordan, and talked about it in, in in the way that you draw up the contracts, like you said with Cooper Cup, and I'm sure they did it with Aaron Donald too, and this is what I mean when I say you don't you're not just thinking about one year, you're not just thinking about oh what's this going to mean for 2021? Oh no, nope, they're looking down the line and saying like okay if we do need to do some type of restructure or something like that how does that look then what does that mean for 2023 for instance uh, so that that's the kind of stuff that, that you have to do I would be terrible at it to be honest with you I can't even like I'm I'm very much a month-to-month uh, uh, money manager so I I would be awful at this sort of thing but that's why they pay uh, Ivy League people a lot of money to to do this sort of thing because you, you have to you have to think uh, in in the short term and the long term at the same time so um, you know it's it's not easy uh, and I think we mentioned it Jordan before on a, on a previous podcast is it just it narrows the tightrope for you you know when you when you when you do things like this, uh, it just means that you have to make some really really smart decisions around these moves and to date the Rams have done a good job with that sort of thing. but Jordan, I think the one thing beyond that that, that people are curious about is and and we're going back a little bit farther now but uh, when you when you talk to Les sneed, after the season ended, a few days, maybe a week after the season ended, he basically indicated that the Rams, they had a formula that would allow them to bring back basically everybody they wanted to. I think I'm phrasing that correctly. Yeah. Right? And the phrasing
1: yeah. is is tricky because right. like they don't necessarily want to bring back your Gerald Everett's, your Josh Reynolds, your... Um, you know, maybe even Malcolm Brown, we'll see, they don't necessarily want to bring back your, some of your free agents who we had reported in multiple pieces that were not considered quote unquote priorities. So I think when people saw that, so it was really interesting. The Rams were working with the cap floor the entire year. Like they believed that the floor would be 175 million. Turns out they were right. Um, they were working with 175 million because anything extra would just be gravy, right? <laughs> so yes. they they felt that if they could get all of their their contracts under that number, when the league ultimately tacked on a couple million more in relief because enough teams would be too far over to even be viable, um, then that that would be gravy for them because they would already have been working at the sort of the bare minimum, right? So. One thing that's important to do in football is establish a floor, and yes, that is a a loaded <laughs> comment. But <laughs> readers readers of my columns will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but um, but anyway, so it's it, that that part's fascinating, but it also bears keeping in mind. Like it doesn't mean that they can bring everybody back because their numbers are all going to be team friendly. So their number right. for Leonard Floyd, for example, who his either Leonard or his position would be a priority free agent for them. Their number for him would be team friendly. You know, their number for John Johnson would be well under what his market value would be um, in an open market. And, and so they're working with, with team friendly numbers if they can get those guys to um, sort of cycle through and, and then come back to them at that lower, more team friendly number that is what they're working with, with that 175 million floor. Now you have a little bit more wiggle room, however, because you are getting more, um, you you know, as high as 181 or 184 or whatever the number was. So now you have a little bit more wiggle room, but you also want to make sure you're getting a little bit of carryover. You have some wiggle room, even as the season begins, right? You don't want to be you don't want to establish your your initial pay your draft picks and then already be in trouble, right? What if you have to bring a guy in? What if you really think you can make a run, but you need to sign, you know, you need to make a trade or you need to assume a salary. You need to try, you know, you, you need to do X, Y, or Z, many different things that they could do. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that was an interesting and very intentional way of phrasing that because right. it was sort of sending a message out there to these agents and free agents like, um, yeah, we'd love to have you back, but you got to take our number. And so that's a very important discernment to make as free agency as free agency begins, yes, they could bring certain guys back, but it would be at a different number than that player and that player's representation would probably be hopeful for um, on an, in an open market and and if free agency would run its course like normal
2: yeah it's it's going to be a really and I, I i think this is going to vary a lot from player to player and i i don't i don't know whether there's going to be a right way or a wrong way to do this in fact i'm i'm pretty sure there isn't but it's just kind of you know if you're a player what are you going to value right now because the short term market is going to be depressed no matter what um anybody certainly anybody signing a one-year deal this spring is not going to get what they would have got last year or probably what they're going to get next year. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering how that, and again, I think it'll be specific to every player and kind of how they view themselves and what point they are in their career, how much trust they have with, with certain teams or their current teams. It'll be really interesting. Like, obviously, the two that the Rams are going to be looking at here Rams fans, I should say, are going to be looking at here are John Johnson and Leonard Floyd. And even the two of them, to me, are are in very different uh, situations. I mean, John Johnson has been on kind of this steady rise uh, throughout his career. This is really his first chance at a big payday. Uh, It's his first big contract. You know Leonard Floyd's had some ups and downs. Obviously, the really the reason he came to the Rams is because he had some downs after being a, a high draft pick with with the Bears and didn't quite turn out the way that he wanted to there. Uh, and then he had a big year. So how are these guys going to see this? Do you do you just go out if you're if you're Leonard Floyd right now? Do you just literally try to get as much money as you can, uh, and, and you know maybe get a sign of three or four year deal and and hope that in the long term it pays off. Maybe your 2021 salary isn't going to be what you want it to be, but down the line you, you you pay off. Or do you bet on yourself one more year and say, hey, you know what? I'll come back to the Rams for one more year. I'll, I won't i will make as much money as I want to make, but I'll be playing next to Aaron Donald again. And maybe I can get another 10.5 sacks and, and everybody will really enjoy me. And then a year from now, when the market is, 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 Presumably back to where it was. Uh, maybe that's when I get my big payday. Uh, where if you're John Johnson, how do you see that? It, it, it's it's going to be fascinating to me. And I, I again, I I think it's going to depend a lot on kind of where players are in in their careers and mm-hmm. and maybe. How much they're they're willing to to bet on themselves? So I don't know, Jordan. Do, you, do you, I don't really get a sense of of how either one of those would go. But but I know you you think, uh, and I, I agree that you know the Rams should probably prioritize Leonard Floyd here, right? And and that might sound weird because John Johnson has been such an amazing uh, part of that defense over the last couple of years. But just in terms of practicality, uh, maybe maybe they look to Leonard Floyd a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I think in terms of where their valuation charts are of position valuation, they tend to invest in quarterback, corner, um, uh, you know, left tackle, obviously, and then pass rush. And that's sort of what smart football dictates is investing heavily in those positions and less so in Things that tend to, in positions that tend to, um, quote unquote, lose value over uh, three years or four years, which would be things like running back, which we already saw them mess up in that regard and then pull back. Um, Things like, uh, you know, they don't, they don't historically invest in safety. They don't historically invest in inside linebacker because, again, if you, if you're running off-ball linebackers, um, they instead had scheme implementation where they could work around it agree or disagree. I personally love great linebacker play, but I understand that in this system that's not a position that they're going to traditionally invest in. Um, so it's really that that chart that they have internally um, that discusses position valuation to me leans more heavily toward valuing uh, uh, Leonard Floyd and like and Austin Blythe as priorities um, in in terms of the resign process. And part of that is just common sense, also considering your depth. You don't have any on the edge, for example. Um, and and you have a couple of guys who are really promising. And and Obo Okoronkwo is one guy who I think has a ton of promise, as does Justin Hollins, but Obo was not able to stay healthy historically. Terrell Lewis not able to stay healthy this season so you can't like depend on that right so you have to right you have to supplement with good depth or at least supplement Leonard Floyd's production with a couple of players who can put it together and and have that production cuz you can't just leave it up to Aaron Donald every year i mean you could you you probably could but then you'd need him to not be double teamed, you know, 70% of pass rush snaps, which he was this year. So, you know, you, you have to have a complement of production and off the edge is where they have really found success bringing in some of these, um, veterans with, with upside who necessarily weren't necessarily like top earners in, in their market because of, of maybe it was system, maybe it was coaching changes, maybe it was injury, and and you know, they bring him in and then they produce really well playing next to Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers and A'shaun Robinson and guys like that. So, um, so I think, you know, if you can't bring back Leonard Floyd, which I think you could actually, because you can say, Hey, Leonard, right. um, you had 10 and a half sacks and we're going to give you a lower base, but we're gonna incentivize the crap out of this contract. You could be, you could make millions and millions of dollars with sack incentives because you know that you can do it in this defense and 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 in being the lead guy alongside Aaron Donald um and then also we won't you, you know you could take maybe a 1 year with us with heavy incentives because we believe that you can hit him you believe you can hit him that that could be a win-win while Leonard then waits for the market to reinflate for example um so all of those things. To go back to your initial point, yeah, I think that that's a hev- a more heavily investable position, um, and it sucks because nobody wants to see John Johnson leave, and right. and his value is so um, insurmountable. Like it's it's you can't even yeah. describe. Like he does so many things, and and is so versatile that it unlocks all these other players around him, but at the same time, they do have really good depth there right now. They've got Terrell Burgess, who's coming back and and could be expected to call a defense as John Johnson has. You have Taylor Rapp, who, um, you know, had, had some injury and then was playing probably a little bit out of position. And then Jordan Fuller came over and, and took over and, and depending on what, um, Raheem Morris wants to do with the safety position, that could look a little bit different, um, in terms of of some of the concepts and the single high or the two high. And so that's going to be interesting. But you have depth there. You have Nick Scott who came in and played his ass off. Right. Like you have, you have good depth there, right? But you don't have it on the edge. And so um, you can't take a position that you historically don't value and then um, all of a sudden pivot from your model when your model has been working and you've supplemented with depth. So yeah. I think that that's going to be somewhere the, the edge position is somewhere they're going to invest. Um, and then again, I think you know you you probably got to resign Austin Blythe. Otherwise, you have to draft a center at fifty seven.
2: Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's it's, it's fascinating. I love I love this stuff. The off season, just e- everything goes hand in hand uh, w- with something else, and it's it's really it's these are the important decisions i mean you look at okay the quarterback trade like yeah that that's going to be a big one but these are really the ones when you, when you really dig down that that make the difference between a, a a really good team and a championship team is is whether you make the smart decisions uh, in these areas so i'm really fascinated to see what goes on here and Jordan we it's the NFL offseason is amazing because uh, you, you get two weeks removed from the Super Bowl and and then you are right back into it now unfortunately uh, I, I know something that that you always enjoyed and and I did too was going to the combine and I know. yeah that's that's not going to happen I can't uh, this sneak year around
1: and get Information. God, that's right. Yes. <laughs> that's what that's my favorite thing, is just sneaking around and, and digging up information on everything. Like I, I feel like I've got one hand tied behind my back now.
2: Yeah. You can't you can't the, the hallways of that convention center, you can't turn a corner without yeah. Jordan Rodrigue being there. <laughs> hey, uh, how
1: you doing? Yeah. <laughs> got a few minutes.
2: <laughs> it really is. It's a, it's an amazing like convention of, of just people everywhere and like I I, told, I think I told you, Jordan, I used to love sitting at that Starbucks that was kind of the, the hallway between the, the hotel and the uh, convention center. And it was just like, you, you, if, you, if you needed somebody, they were going to walk by eventually. Uh, yeah. You just kind of had to wait them out. So, uh, and I'm it's, like it's... such
1: a lurker too. Like, <laughs> like I'll be like, oh, team meetings from 1045 to uh, 1145 outside convention room B, hmm, maybe I'll walk past around that time. It's like right. whack-a-mole. I just I just pop up everywhere. Hey, guys. Right, yeah. Nice to see you. Y- yeah. How you doing? You guys having a good <laughs> what day? What are you hearing? What, what are you, you hearing? You guys, you guys got a few minutes? On background, <laughs> on background. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's... Um... Gosh, it's uh, it's it's not going to be the same without yeah. being there, and it's you know it's not going to be the same for the teams either because that's when a lot of things start to come together too because there's a lot of agents there. It's not just uh, it's it's not just the teams there. So anyway, that that'll that'll go on in in some form. I have no idea what it's what it's going to be, but um, we go straight from that basically uh, into the into the start of free agency a, a month basically a month from now. Uh, we'll be getting some some decisions in in free agency, so it, it never slows down. Uh, there's there's always something going on, and and that's one of the fun things uh, about doing this. There's always something to talk about, and we should say because we really didn't spend any time in this episode talking about the the, the trade and the fallout of all of that. Hopefully, uh, pretty soon, uh, I, I guess it'll be another, I guess it'll be another month actually before we can actually hear officially, before we can hear from some of the people involved in the Jared Goff-Matthew Stafford trade, um, such as Sean McVeigh and, and hopefully Matthew Stafford, to kind of get their thoughts on on the way that, that all that went down. Uh, of course, that that's not going to be uh, an official trade until the league year starts on March 17th. So that's when those people will do their official interviews with uh, reporters. So I know you're looking forward to that too, Jordan.
1: Yeah, you know, they've already used so much of Stan Kroenke's money that Sean McVeigh totally didn't... Uh, come in to introduce his new defensive coordinator
2: or yeah. special teams
1: guy because they didn't Funny want to that. incur the fine because they knew people would ask about the trade <laughs> and they can't talk about it wow. or else they get fined. So Sean was yeah. like, mm, "We've already uh we've already made the phone call to ask for, you know, another several million dollars. So we're going to go ahead and yeah. avoid that one." <laughs> I'm just being tongue-in-cheek, uh, of course. Yeah, I,
2: I think there were certain questions that Sean McVay <laughs> could have answered during that press conference that maybe he just thought there was a better way to spend his time that day. Uh, that that would be maybe my my take on it. But those questions will be asked eventually, and uh, the answers will be will be very interesting. But yeah, Jordan, off to an amazing start in, in this offseason, and I know you've got a lot of fun stuff planned. I don't want to spoil anybody's uh, uh angles or stories or anything like that, but I, I know you're looking forward to a fun off season, right?
1: Yeah, it's going to be a blast guys. Um we'll be covering the draft and free agency really heavily um and have some cool features in the works as well. And as always, we're going to continue this podcast every other week or so if there's a big uh say quarterback trade, for example, we'll get yeah. in here, we'll get in here and do um little bit more, but so far we hope you guys are enjoying your off season. And also we would be remiss if we did not remind you that if you subscribe to theathletic.com through the 11 Personnel Podcast, you get my favorite thing in the world. Rich, what is it?
2: You get a great discount.
1: A great discount. I love a great discount. Everybody drink.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we're uh we're off to some uh, some great stuff in the offseason. You know, Jordan did such an awesome job uh last year coming in and and I know we're looking forward to her first year covering the Rams draft. Uh they do actually have a couple draft picks, I think. So that that'll be something uh, interesting to follow, but uh yeah, Jordan, I, I know we're excited about it.
1: Thanks, guys. Thanks as always for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at John Rodriguez at Rich Hammond. Don't forget to look for our content at The Athletic in uh, the Los Angeles Rams section. Uh, in case you uh, were unaware, <laughs> kind of a kind of a Captain Obvious moment there. But um, thanks as always for listening to us, for giving us reviews. We read them all; they are wonderful and hilarious, and we appreciate all of you guys. And we'll catch you next time.